What a great question. Who are we? Uh, so for those of you who've been at the fellowship or a part of the fellowship longer than I have, uh, this question may seem perhaps a little redundant because you've known about our core values and who God's Word calls us to be. But I can tell you this, it's going to be a great reminder. And sometimes in the kingdom of God, uh, we don't necessarily need to learn new stuff. We need to revisit the stuff that we've already learned over and over and over and be reminded of who we are in Christ. A lot of the things that we're going to talk about over the next several weeks are not just true of this congregation, but it's true of who we are in Christ. We are going to talk a little bit about uniquely our identity as the fellowship in the larger kingdom of God. But those of you who are newer to the church, this is, this is an important series for you. Because as you are checking us out you're coming here on Sundays and you're going, man, I love that worship and this place seems to be right for me, but what do they really believe? Have you ever wondered that before? What do they really believe? We're going to be talking about that. Who am I is a fundamental question. You probably asked it of yourself as you were growing up. For those of you uh, who are young, maybe you're in grade school right now, you're going to ask yourself this question a number of times as you get older and older. Who am I? Who do I want to be identified as? Or how do I want to be defined in my life? And for those of you who are no longer in grade school, we're a little more seasoned, we still ask this question, don't we? Who am I? And I think it's important for us not just to ask that in the individual sense, but to ask it corporately. As a people of God, who are we? We're going to answer that question. Uh, This morning, you see, uh, because you have your notes in front of you or you saw on the screen, that today we're talking about our identity in terms of biblical instruction. And we're going to be looking this morning at a passage in the New Testament. We're going to be talking about why it is that we need to be categorized or identified as people who embrace biblical instruction. But before we really jump into the scripture, I just want to make a distinction this morning. Because oftentimes, what happened, and I said this in the first service, and I said, you know what really annoys me? And it's not necessarily an annoyance towards you. It's annoyance towards us preachers, us people who get up on the platform and preach on a weekend and week out basis. Here's what really annoys me. It really annoys me when we preachers say that we value the Bible and then we don't teach from it. That really bothers me. It bothers me to be a part of an evangelical movement that says, hey, we value the Bible and then sometimes we don't even use it in our Bible studies. Or we don't use it in everyday decision making, practical seasons of life. Like here's what I think. If we're going to say that the Bible is important to us, then we ought to really use it. Like it should really work its way into our everyday life. Now, obviously, we're all in different places. You're in a different place of life than I am. I'm in a different place than you are. We've all been walking with Jesus at different seasons of life. Some of us have been Christians for 20 years. Some of us for 50 years. Some of us are not yet devoted followers of Jesus. And you're getting ready to make that decision, but you haven't made that decision. So I know that we're all in a lot of different places. But here's just what I want to say. Fundamentally... If we say that the Bible is important, then, then we should actually use it. <laughs> That's the point that I'm trying to make this morning. Uh, you know, oftentimes in the ministry, 
a young couple will meet and fall in love and they'll get married. And uh, inevitably, within six months, they're in my office. Pastor Zach, I need you to help me. We're having problems. Which is okay, by the way. Can I just pause for a second and say, it's okay because real living relationships are tough. So whether it's a marriage or a friendship or whatever, it can be tough sometimes and it's okay to struggle and need help. But they'll come in my office and here's oftentimes the reality of it. They have been very successful as individuals living for Jesus and now they're trying to live as one together for Jesus and they're still trying to figure out how that works. So we play a game. Here's what we do. I said, okay, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go home, and I want you to either get a notepad or a pen, or if you're the technology type, get you know, your phone out to make some notes. And when you open your front door, the first thing I want you to do is to look around. And here's what you do. You make a list. You make a list of everything that is in your house. A rug, write it down. Is there a painting on the wall? Write it down. Is there a sofa in your living room? Write it down. Your TV, go through your house and make a list of everything. And then here's what you do. You write down where you got it from. Oh, my auntie got us that painting. Oh, we bought this area rug from Ikea or wherever you got it from. The dresser came from such and such, right? And they do all that, and then they come back and they see me, and they give me their list, and I say, oh, you did such a good job. Now, here's what I want you to do. I want you to write down all the different aspects of your life. Communication, finances, romance and intimacy, like all these things that have to do with your life. And then I want you to write down where you got your perspective from on these things. You see, just like you got your sofa from somewhere, you got your perspective from finances somewhere. And just like you got your area rug from someplace, you got your method of communication from someplace. Now, here's what I would say this morning. As it relates to me and my life, in every single area of my life, my ambition and goal in life is that the Bible be the place that informed that area of my life. Communications, the Bible. Finances, the Bible. How I spend my time, the Bible. The way that I parent, the Bible. How I become a husband, the Bible. How I follow Jesus, the Bible. What I believe about the world, the Bible. What I believe about God, the Bible. I want the Bible to me not just say that it's important, but it actually shape my Life. I think that's important for us as evangelicals. I think it's important for us who say that we belong to a Bible-believing church to, to, to be able to say not just that it's important, but that it's actually shaped our lives. And what we're going to do this morning is allow 2 Timothy chapter 3 to explain the why, why that is so important. Now, as you open to 2 Timothy chapter 3, I just have to say this while you're flipping your pages of your Bible. Obviously, we all are instructed by someone or something. The reality is you have to choose very wisely who it is or what it is that you are going to allow to instruct or to shape your life. Be wise with that decision. My belief is that there's no better place than the Bible to go to for key information on what my life should look like and how I'm going to pattern my life. So I hope that you'll discover, whether you've been here for 20 years or 43 years or for one week, that here at the fellowship, we seek not just to say, oh, we love the Bible, but we really open it. 
and we really look at what God's word says and seek to apply it to our life. So the question, obviously, if you have your notes this morning, you see that as we look at 2 Timothy chapter 3, we're asking the question, why do we seek instruction from the Bible? I think that's a very legitimate An important question that whether you're 103 or 13 or 9 or 6 or however old you are, however long you've been walking with God, I think we all should ask and answer that question. Why, write in your notes, why do we seek instruction from the Bible? We're going to answer that this morning. We're going to let Paul give us the answer to that question. Now, Paul is writing to Timothy. And I know that when I deliver sermons, I always want to deliver an encouraging, inspiring sermon that sends you out into the world going, Oh, that was just encouraging. That Pastor Zach, he always inspires us. And I'm sure that that's the type of sermons that you like to listen to. You like to leave pumped up for God and going, man, I just feel, you know, so encouraged and inspired. So I have to tell you, in the next 30 seconds, what Paul says to Timothy isn't always what we would call encouraging or exciting. Because what Paul does is he really says to Timothy the type of life that we're going to face from time to time living in the kingdom of God. So we just start in verse 1. But understand this. He's talking talking to Timothy, which is like his protege. So he's like, I'm just imagining him standing in front of Timothy going, listen, get this through your skull. Has anybody ever said that to you before? Get this through your skull. And this is what he's saying to Timothy. In the last days, there will come times of difficulty. You can love God. You can be sold out for Jesus. You, you can be walking in the spirit of God. You can be living for Jesus Monday through Sunday. Like you can be doing everything right. And still, you will come into seasons of difficulty. Now, that may not be altogether encouraging, but it is altogether true. That's what Paul says to Timothy. Now, he goes on to say in verse 12, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Again, that probably doesn't register on the, oh my goodness, how encouraging is this scale. But it's true. And I say this to you so that we can get proper perspective on what we should expect out of life. We can walk with Jesus and still we're going to face difficulty in life. Sometimes because circumstances are just tough. But sometimes, specifically because we're following Jesus, we're going to be persecuted. What does Paul say to Timothy? Look in verse 14. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and you have firmly believed, knowing from whom you have learned. So this entire chapter, Paul has been expressing to Timothy that life isn't always roses and peaches. That's what Paul is saying. Okay, so then what? So cling to the word of God is what Paul is saying to Timothy. And as we ask this question, why? Why as people of God do we need to be so passionately serious about allowing the Bible to instruct us and to shape us and to shape the way we see the world and to shape the way that we pattern our life and the actions that we are to take? Why? I want Paul to answer that question. And he does it in verses 16 and 17. It says in verse 16, 
all scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Okay, so let's answer these questions. question by three points this morning. And before we do that, here's, if you like to make notes in your Bible, if you circle and highlight and do the little side notes thing, here's what I'd like for you to do. In verse 16, I'd like for you to circle the word all. Would you do that for me? Here's why that's important. We, not you specifically, but we as human beings have an awful, awful habit of saying Oh, I love the verses in the Bible that agree with me and inspire me, right? Those certainly are God-breathed. Those certainly are inspired by God. My goodness, I couldn't agree with these more. However, the ones that contradict my perspective or my actions or my behavior, those can't possibly be inspired, right? Well, when we do that, what we've done is we've defaulted. And it's no longer God who is God. We're playing God. We are, by default, placing ourselves at the throne of all existence, determining flippantly, often, what is and isn't the Word of God. So just let's get perspective. Paul is saying all Scripture is breathed out by God. So to answer the question, why is it that we seek the Bible for our instruction? It's because the Bible is from God. All of it. All of it is from God. Now the question then means, what is that? Like how do you explain what this means? It says that the Bible is breathed out by God, which on face value might feel like it's kind of like this awkward sentence, right? The Bible is breathed out by God. What does that mean? We're going to talk a little bit about what that means this morning. Uh, I don't think that I'll answer all of your questions, certainly. And I guess I should say that from the start. I don't think that we can say everything that there is to say about the importance of the Bible to our life. And I guess the second thing I should say as we try to unpack this a little bit is, I'm not arguing that anybody does this perfectly, but what I am saying is that the Bible should be what shapes our life and what instructs and what instructs the way we see the world and the way that we pattern our life. Do we do it perfectly? No. As the fellowship, do we do that perfectly? No. As you, as a believer in Christ, do you do it perfectly? No. Does your pastor do it perfectly? No. But we continually seek to do it more faithfully and more faithfully and more faithfully. Why? Well, because the Bible is from God. It's a gift. And when it says it's breathed out by God... I think that that demands for us to pause for a second and reflect on the meaning of that. It's breathed out by God, all of Scripture. What does that mean? Well, in a very simple and general sense, what that means is that it's, it's trustworthy and that it's accurate in a very simple way. Now, uh, some of us have done a little bit more in-depth study about the nature of the Bible, and so we've bumped into words along the way. And if you're making notes, I would encourage you to write these down. These are great concepts to go and look into, but 
uh, words like inerrant. Like it is, the Bible is without error. And I say that and I know because in a room like this, there's skeptics, right? And if you're a skeptic here today, we welcome you. We love you. We are so happy that you're here today. And I know that if you are a skeptic, this kind of conversation might be under your skin already. What do you mean it's inerrant, right? Uh, And I know that we have these conversations. I have these conversations every single week of my life. So I know that this is an important conversation to have. What do you mean it's inerrant? It's without error. It's written by people. What do you mean it's without error? Human beings wrote this down. How can it be without error? There's another word that we bump into when we talk about the importance and the character, the reliability of the Bible, and that word is infallible. And if you are a person who loves to do research or look into these matters deeply, this is an important word, infallible, uh, without the ability to be corrupted. Uh, the Bi- when we say the Bible is infallible, uh, not only are we saying it's without error, but it, we are saying it will not prove to be false, it will not be proven to have error. Now, as I mentioned, we can anticipate that some people wouldn't agree with this. We would say, wait, no, time out. People wrote this. People who were significantly flawed. yes. Human beings are significantly flawed. We do not need an anthropological lesson to understand that. We know our own selves, and we know the world in which we live, and we know the world is flawed. But I want you to understand that the claim that the Bible can't be accurate because people wrote it is flawed in and of itself. Uh, For instance, if, if I invited Mike to come up on the platform, and I'm not, so... Calm down, Mike, don't panic. But if Mike were to come up here and we had a piece of paper and we wrote down Zach and Mike were here on this platform at 1129 on September the 12th, 2001. Mike signed it, I signed it. And then we put it under the speaker and we forgot about it for 20 years And then one day, one of the kids that are back in the kids' ministry right now, they're leading this church. They pick up the speaker, and they see that note. And they say, who wrote this? I can barely read it. That would be me. (laughs) So I'm going to write it. uh, Instead of being cursive, I'm just going to put it like in non-cursive. And they write the same thing. Zach and Mike were here at 1129 on September the 12th. 2021 and they put it under this speaker and there it sits for 200 years so that one day when none of us are here and the kids who are back there's grandkids grandkids are leading this church and they move the speaker and they see it and they read it out loud for everybody to hear and somebody stands up and say no false that can't be true that was written by a human. And look, it was written over here too, so it's been transmitted. It's been recopied, and it was written so long ago that surely this is false. You see how false that way of thinking is? Just because a human being wrote it, and just because it was written a long time ago, and just because it was recopied, doesn't on face value mean that a document has to be false. 
Now, if you want to go deep into this, like way into the weeds, like if this is the type of conversation that really gets your blood pumping and you're excited to explore this a little bit further, I want you to notice in your notes at the very bottom, I've given you as a resource a book for you to look into. Because there, there's literally hours and hours and hours of conversation to be had about whether or not the Bible is trustworthy and reliable. And, you know, I was saying, I know that there are skeptics here today. I know that we have them every week. People who are not necessarily uh, followers of Jesus, but they're looking into the Christian faith. They're not committed to Christ, but they're interested in Christ. Listen, again, this book will be a great book for you to look into and understand why it is we are so confident that we can trust the Bible. You know, a lot of people say, we well, just have blind faith that you can trust the Bible. No, actually, it's anything but blind. It is a very studied faith that gives me confidence that I can believe that the Bible is accurate. So the answer to your first point is because it's from God. Why do we seek instruction from the Bible? Because it's from God. What does this mean? Well, it means a couple of things. It means that God is faithful to communicate to human beings. It means that God is, uh, God's character is such that God is not a God that hides, but God wishes to be heard. That's a big deal. You know, sometimes we struggle in life, don't we? I just wish God would speak to me. I just wish God would tell me what God wants. I just wish God wasn't so foreign or out there or hidden. Well, if the Bible is from God, what that means is that God is faithful to communicate. And what that implies is that you and I are never without the ability to hear from God. Now think about how beautiful of a thought that is. Oftentimes, isn't it true that we find ourselves saying to ourselves or to your pastor, I just wish God would speak to me. Well, what we're discovering this morning is that you are never without the ability to hear from the mind and the heart of God. Because the Bible is from God. And when we spend time in it, we're spending time hearing from God. So why do we seek instruction from the Bible? Because it's from God. Secondly, because it's useful for daily life. Now, you know your pastor by now. I've been here almost three years uh, those of you who haven't been here that long, you've been here for three weeks, you know that I really value not only saying, here's what the Bible says, but here's how it works out in everyday life. And here's why I think that's so critical, because the Bible itself, what Paul is saying to Timothy, not only is the Bible from God, but the Bible is useful for everyday life. Like it's relevant to us. In fact, look in verse 16, if you would, with me. So whether you're a teenager here this morning, or whether you're a young adult, or whether you're a senior adult, or somewhere in between, or whether you're married or single, or whether you're of a high economic status, or you're struggling financially, the Bible, Paul says that the Bible, the Scripture, is useful in our life. Look in verse 16. The Scripture 
is profitable. Some of your translations will say useful. It's useful for teaching, for reproof. Some of your translations will say rebuke, for correction, and for training in righteousness. Here's what I want you to understand. I'm 41 years old now and some days. Never, not one time in those 41 years of life has there been one day where I didn't need one of those four things that Paul just mentioned. There have been times that I needed to be taught what God thought or wished. There are times where I needed to be corrected because accidentally I stepped here and somebody needed with the word of God to correct me. There have been times where I haven't intentionally stepped out and I needed to be reproofed or rebuked. Sometimes we need correction. Sometimes we need rebuke. Sometimes we just need to be taught. Sometimes we just need to continue that process of training each other up in righteousness. But I can tell you this, in all of my 41 years of life, there's never been not one day that I didn't need one of those four things. And more often than not, I need them all four in one's day's time, right? So what does that mean? It means that the Bible is not only from God, but it is useful in everyday life. And here's where I push back sometimes when people come to me and they say, Pastor, I know that the Bible is important. I know I should respect the Bible, but I just don't read it because it just is irrelevant to my life. Now, I hear that on a frequent basis, and here's my response to that. No. You don't read the Bible because it's you, you don't fail to read the Bible because it's irrelevant to you. You stop reading the Bible because it is very relevant to you and you don't like what it says. That's why people stop reading the Bible. Now, I do understand that there's a contingency of people who have never learned the skill set and developed the, the, the understanding and the know-how to really get into the Word and study it and learn how to apply it to their life. And I understand that we as the church need to step in with you and help you get those tools. And that's what we're trying to do right now. Uh, you probably have seen we're launching Bible studies. We encourage you to get involved in them. We have them on Tuesday night. We have them all throughout. You can look online and see when we have them. We want to help you understand how to study the Bible. But I just can't get my brain around somebody saying the Bible isn't relevant to my life. It is my experience that the vast majority of people who stop reading the Bible don't stop reading the Bible because it doesn't matter to them. They stop reading the Bible because it's highly relevant and they would prefer to live contrary to the way that the Bible teaches. And so they claim it's irrelevant and they move on. But the Bible is highly relevant to our daily life. There's not an issue that you face today that the Bible wouldn't speak to. None. And so I was talking to you about the couple who will come and will go through that system, right? Like, okay, find everything in your house and list where it came from. And then we'll say, okay, 
make all the categories of your life, communication and finances and romance and how you're going to raise kids and how you're going to do this and this and, and make a list of that. And then talk about what has influenced your perspective on that. Listen, whether you have a spouse or not, that's an important thing for all of us to do. Like, what is my perspective? How do I see the world and what has shaped that viewpoint? What do I think about God and what shaped that viewpoint? What do I think about all of these different important matters in my life and what shaped my viewpoint? So my proposal to you is that we should allow the word of God to instruct those things because it's from God because the Bible is useful for daily living and the third point that I want to make before we spend some time praying this morning is the third reason that we seek instruction from the Bible because it is essential for godly living and this is an interesting conversation Because it kind of has to start with the admission that not everybody, let me be careful how I say this, not everybody who attends services is hungry to live a godly life. I think that's a very fair way to state that. And if you don't desire to live a godly life, then it's naturally understood why a person may not feel motivated to dive into the breath of God that is the scripture and swim through it on a daily basis so that the Bible can instruct and influence the way you think, the way you act, and the way that you are. But notice what Paul says in verse 17. He has just said that all scriptures God breathed. He has just said that scripture is useful on a daily basis for teaching and for rebuking and for correction and for training in righteousness. And look at verse 17. So that the man or woman of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So if we are living our lives without a hunger to being complete in Christ, And if we're living our lives with really no passion whatsoever to do the good works of the kingdom of God, it is natural then, isn't it, that we are not hungry or living with an appetite to feast upon the word of God. Because the purpose of the word of God is to help us live a godly life. And if we're not about that purpose, then we're going to be demotivated And not feeling compelled to spend time engaging in the Bible. But if we have this longing in our hearts and our souls to be complete. And if we have this desire on a day-to-day basis going, I know life isn't easy. I know life can be tough. But I want to be ready to face the day. I want to be ready to walk into my school or to my college, or to my job, or to walk into the living room while I'm raising my family. I want to walk into this day equipped for every good work that God would have for me. If that's your heart, then the Word of God is essential for you. Paul says, all Scripture is from God. It's breathed out by God. And it's useful on a daily basis so that 
we can be complete and we can be ready to do the good works of the kingdom of God even when we face difficulty, even when we face persecution, even when life isn't roses and peaches, we still can represent Christ and make a difference in the world because we're allowing the Bible to instruct our days. I plead with you this morning to choose wisely who or what is going to shape and instruct your life. Who or what is going to shape the way that you view the world, the way that you view human beings, and the way that you view God, and the way that you view yourself, and the way that you choose what you value, and what you pursue, and what you long for, and what you think about, and and, and the way that you act, and the way that you hold yourself, not just in public, but in private before God, and just between you and God. I implore you to choose wisely what will instruct your life. Who are we? We're an imperfect bunch of people that are doing the very best that we can to allow the Bible, the gift from God that is useful every day of our life to help us be who God wants for us to be. We're an imperfect group of people seeking to allow the Bible to shape and instruct our lives. That's who we are. And as we begin this series, thinking about the identity of this congregation, it is critical that we establish from the very jump that we will not just be people who talk about the Bible. We will be people who dive into it, who open it, who every, at every turn and every situation we say, what would the scripture teach us about this specific topic? Now, I know we're all in different places. You and I are in a different place. Our histories are different. Backgrounds, uh, spiritual maturity is different. But if you're in Christ this morning, then what you can do is this. You can understand where it is that you are and you can discern with God's help what is your next step in allowing the Bible to instruct your life. Maybe it's in a specific area. Maybe there's 10 ways that you can look at your life and there's nine of them where the Bible is shaping your very being and there's that one. And you know this morning that God is saying to you, Come on. Come on. Yield to the Bible this morning. Maybe you're here today and you're saying, wow, I didn't know any of this stuff. Now I know I should be reading my Bible. Maybe you're here this morning and you've never really started engaging with the Bible. Today you need to set like a challenge or something for yourself. Maybe this week you're going to read the Bible every day. You're going to spend time in the gift that God has given us. What I'm asking you to do this morning is to take this teaching 
and in some way where you're at in your spiritual life to apply it so that next week you've grown a little bit in your Bible instruction. You've allowed the Bible to shape a little bit more of who you are. That's what I hope that you'll do this morning. Would you stand with me as we prepare to close our time? Would you stand and bow? And let's just spend a moment in prayer. I want to give you just a moment to pray. And connect with the Lord. Respond to the Lord even about how you might take 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 and apply that to your week this week. Lord Jesus, we don't worship the Bible. We worship you. You are God. But we accept that you have expressed yourself to us in the word of God. And so we are seeking, Lord, this morning to understand how to respect and to celebrate and to yield to that know that Paul said some important things to Timothy about the character and the identity and the trustworthiness of the Bible. And we confess, Lord, that there are times where we could run to it, but we don't. Sometimes it might be because of busyness. Sometimes it might be because we know what it's going to say and we want to avoid that Lord we just lay all of those things before you this morning and as a people we desire to start anew this morning to begin fresh today we thank you for a season in our church life where we can pause and be reminded of who we are Lord this morning we close our prayer by saying to you that we choose to be a people who not just talk about the Bible, but who really seek the Word of God and seek to yield to the Word of God. That's who we want to be, Lord. We need your Spirit's help, certainly. We need the sanctifying work of your Spirit to help us. We know, Lord, that allowing the Bible to instruct our life isn't just for our health, but it is what this very confused and very broken world needs to see. People who allow the Bible to shape their being. Help us to be those people, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
It's been a good day in church. Amen. It's been a good day in the house of God. I want to say to you, if you're a guest today, what a great time to come. Like at the very beginning of a series where we're talking about who we are. I hope that you'll come back next week. I hope that you felt not only welcomed but loved because we do desire to be a place that loves people well. We do invite you to come back. We know it takes a lot of courage for you to pull into a new parking lot, park in a new spot, walk through a new door, and sit in a new seat. So thanks for doing that. We respect that a lot. We hope that you felt loved today. If you are a guest, we have a welcome center right here in this room, right to your right and my left. I would love to shake your hand or fist bump you or high five or just wave from a distance if you prefer. But I would just love to acknowledge your presence here today and say thanks for coming. Uh, If you are a guest, please understand this, that we don't ask you for tithes and offerings at all. Uh, And as you leave, you'll notice that there's offering plates when you leave. We don't expect you to give. If you're not a guest here, we ask you to continue to worship the Lord through tithes and offerings. Uh, And somebody asked me the other day, where are we financially? Uh, I just would make sure that you're aware that on the back of your notes, for those of you who want to know where we are financially, there's a place that you can um, look and see on a week-to-week basis. So that's there for you to notice as well. But whether you're a guest here today or you've been here for a long time, God has been good to us today. Uh, Morgan being baptized today was a powerful thing. I know that you didn't see her necessarily baptized, but you heard her story. A lot of trauma. And you know what happened? One person was faithful and said, you need to turn to Jesus. She wasn't in a church. She didn't meet this person at a church. Outside the church, somebody was a witness to her and said, follow Jesus. And I want to encourage you today. Somebody needs to hear your voice this week, encouraging them to take a step towards Jesus. I hope that you'll be a faithful witness this week. Uh, Guests, I want you to know that every week we end our service with a blessing. And the way that we do that is by placing our hands out to receive the closing blessing. So I'll invite you to do that at this time. And this is the blessing written in the Bible, the Word of God. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. And the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Lord, we go with peace and hope and joy and purpose and glory and power because we go with you. Help us to be life-changing agents in the world this week, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.